Sam and I have been speaking, haven't we, over the last few weeks, that every time, uh, being a journalist in Adelaide, every time the, the uh, Test cricket came to Adelaide, there seemed to be some sort of controversy. And it could be any number of things. But I remember this particular thing, when Shane Warne and Mark War were brought in front of the media and had to answer some questions in regards to information they were giving. And it was a, it was an interesting scenario, Sam, because this particular incident, I think they were giving away like conditions of the pitch and weather conditions. And I wondered, geez, that's a grey area. You know, like if someone asked me, for instance, hey, listen, what's the pitch like? How's it playing? What's the weather like? You'd think, well, that's a reasonable question. But the expectations of test cricketers is so much more intense and obviously, uh, you know, your average sports person. But it was just another dilemma. Sometimes you want to go to the cricket and just watch the cricket, but more times than not in Adelaide, when the <laughs> cricket was on, there was a controversy that complemented it. And I had a bit to do with a guy called Mike Coward, who was a cricket writer, very articulate as well, and a, you know, I really got on well with Mike. And probably our next guest, Malcolm Conn, may have crossed paths with Mike Coward during his time. But Malcolm, uh, I reckon that time when Shane Warne and Mark War had to face the media, it was a fairly intense time for, for Australian cricket as you joined the program on a Saturday morning here in Gippsland. Well, yes, it certainly was. I mean, certainly at that time, unfortunately, um, and uh, for some time before that, we're talking sort of about that 98-99 uh, season. Uh, and... Uh, in the years leading up to that, there was a lot of controversy around the possibility of uh, match fixing, particularly on the subcontinent. Mm. Uh, and uh, accusations had been made uh, by uh, Warren and Tim May against Salam Malik after the 1994 tour of Pakistan. So uh, that was certainly floating around. Uh, and there'd been some suggestion that, um, that uh, Mark had been involved bookmakers um well we know he'd been approached uh, that was because uh, he'd uh, given evidence that uh, he'd been approached by bookmakers but there was some suggestion that he might have been involved in some way and uh, i just remember uh i was working for the australian newspaper at the time and it was the launch of the 98-99 season in brisbane and a whole lot of people uh cricketers and administrators and hangers on all went to uh ian hilly's nightclub in in Brisbane, and I can remember in the wee small hours, sort of standing uh, in the corner talking to someone, and they just started talking about um, Mark War being approached by a bookmaker and being given uh, and giving information. I couldn't believe it. And I thought, well, it's pretty late. I better I better make sure I remember this. So I grabbed a few coasters and a barman's pen and start writing notes on the back of the coasters and sticking them in the pocket in the shirt so that uh, I remember what actually happened. And it took some months. Um, uh, of uh, phone calls and ringing around and checking various things to find out that uh, to finally get Cricket Australia to fess up that not only had uh, Mark War but also Shane Warne had been secretly fined for giving information to bookmakers uh, and then put on the plane to go to the West Indies for the 1995 tour of the West Indies. So that had been four years earlier. So, um, yeah, that's uh, where all that came from. There was no evidence that uh, either of them were involved in match-fixing at all, but uh, it was certainly frowned upon that uh, illegal bookmakers are handing out money to uh, Australian players for information. Yeah, look, you won a Walkley Award in 99 for the coverage of that particular event, and deservingly so. Currently, Chief Cricket Writer at the Sydney Morning Herald. You know, it's, it's interesting. I, I think 
Well, I know I speak for myself here, Malcolm. I saw a documentary on Hansi Cronje just recently, really, and it was intriguing to see how, you know, these bookmakers and these people offering money can can infiltrate in in, in interesting ways. In in it, it starts off quite small, but it can quickly grow and quickly put pressure on. I, I, and I think sometimes Australian fans of cricket don't realise the intensity of the support for cricket in those subcontinent uh, nations. Well, that's right. Uh, it, it's remarkable, actually, uh, that if we think the Ashes are big, uh, when India and Pakistan are allowed to play each other, which unfortunately, politically, they're not, that makes the, that makes the um, uh, Ashes look like a, a game of uh, tiddlywinks because it's just <laughs> such so intense with such yeah. uh, massive nations and their, and their first and only real sport these days is cricket. So, and there is still a lot of money, a lot of illegal betting uh, going on in the subcontinent, uh, particularly uh, out of India. So people have to be um, very careful. The anti-corruption units, I was uh, working for Cricket Australia and Cricket New South Wales for six or seven years. So I was sort of made aware of certain things and even been involved in briefings where Photos of certain people would be put up at team meetings where players would be warned to keep an eye out for these particular people um, who are uh, involved in dodgy activities. So, and there's something called pitch siding, which we hear a little bit about, but it goes on quite a bit, where we'll get people on mobile phones or on laptops at games um, either calling back or writing back to uh, their base uh, on the subcontinent uh, because uh, the delay in television means that they get the information back more quickly. So you can be a ball or two behind. So that information is gold in terms of uh, Amazing. what's happening in a game. I, I was uh, told by an anti-corruption officer that uh, they kicked out uh, 40 pitch siders in one season. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, yeah, that's unbelievable. It is incredible, we, yeah. We could probably talk to Malcolm about match-fixing and anti-corruption. For an hour and a half. Yeah, for an hour and a half. <laughs> but we've only got uh, 10 to 15 minutes with Malcolm, who's, as you said, now the chief cricket writer at the Sydney Morning Herald. Malcolm, before all of uh, winning Walkleys and becoming the chief cricket writer at many of the uh, country's biggest papers, you, you grew up in one thing. And was, was journalism something you were always interested in as a youngster? Well, yeah, I, um, I moved, the family moved from Northern Victoria to Wonsaggie uh, when I started high school. So I did all my high schooling at Wonsaggie and, uh, and really enjoyed English. Until when the chance of work experience came around uh, in Form 5 in those days, which is Year 11 in modern parlance, uh, I just uh, wrote down on my form that I'd, uh, I'd like to sort of uh, do work experience at the local newspaper, which I did, uh, the South Gippsland Sentinel Times. And... Um, and thoroughly enjoyed it, and uh, because I was uh, playing footy very badly in the, in the local Bass Valley competition, <laughs> as it was then, um, I was able to write about footy games. And, uh, so that, and so the following year, year 12, I was offered a, uh, a job by the, the then editor, Brian Blake, um, uh, on to work out of Wonfaggy on the, uh, the South Gippsland Sentinel Times. And so I sort of worked part-time, did my HSC part-time, and... Uh, the way I went at my HSC, I'm glad I had a job at the end of it. So I was, uh, I was, uh, and I worked there for four or five years and thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, and I did everything from courts and councils to uh, chasing fire engines and uh, and uh, got the chance to write a lot of sport that I was involved in. I was particularly involved in the cricket there and, and thoroughly enjoyed that. Uh, and um, 
uh, got the opportunity then at that stage, the, uh, the South Gippsland Sentinel Times was half owned by the Age, and the Age were looking for a VFL rider. So uh, I then joined the Age as a VFL rider, um, and uh, was also keen to do cricket. So I was only at the Age 12 months, and then I went to the Australian as both a, an AFL, VFL as it was then, and, and cricket rider, and spent a long time at the Australian. Uh, Riding cricket in AFL and had a great opportunity. Um, got to travel a lot of different places. Although my uh, my wife says, "Why didn't you cover rugby? It only goes for an hour and a half, and they go and to tour Europe." So. <laughs> and and um, you did you did join Cricket Australian Cricket New South Wales as a communication manager in 2014, I believe. What what made you make that move, and and how do you look back on your uh, seven years in the role? Well, I. Um, I'd, it was, I had a sort of a second family, a young... So when I was... Um, I got married uh, quite young and uh, I was chief cricket writer for a few years uh, and had a young family back in the sort of the, the mid-90s. So I stepped away for a couple of years with a young family and then came back and second time round again I had a, a young boy and it's just too hard with uh, doing so much travelling um, when you've got a young family. So I thought that I'd, I'd look for something a bit more stable and I'd... Uh, or, or <laughs> not so much travelling and uh, so I got a job as sort of a, the head of communications at Cricket New South Wales in a joint role working with Cricket Australia on their communications team so I got to work closely with both Cricket New South Wales and Cricket Australia and also uh, help out as uh, as the team media manager from time to time in ter- including spending some time at the 2019 World Cup and the 2019 Ashes in that Team media manager role where you're uh, you're travelling on the team bus and uh, and uh, dealing with players all the time and it's all it's all very interesting to be behind the scenes very intense as you'd imagine at a uh, at a high profile international sport so thoroughly enjoyed that there's a lot of good people working cricket uh, a lot of people working cricket because they have a great passion for it and they love the game uh, it's not the best a lot of people find it's not the best paid. Um, uh, part of the workforce to work in the work in cricket but you do get to, uh, to follow your passion and I guess I've had that opportunity all my life both uh, working for newspapers and also working in cricket so and I'm, uh, I'm blessed I suppose in that regard. Yeah, Malcolm it's interesting isn't it one, uh, one role as a journalist uh, trying to scratch the surface of a, uh, of a sport and then a communications manager when you're confronted with journalists and uh, you've got a role to play to protect the sport you love and sometimes there can be conflict between the two I guess but they're different sides of, they can be different sides of a co- the same coin yeah well it's, it's interesting actually um, yeah I guess it was uh, poacher turned game people wasn't it uh, in that regard yeah. but uh, certainly I found the best part of the job was my the relationships I built up with my journalistic colleagues over the years I mean I was always yeah. straight with them um, yep. and uh, if something happened, if something went wrong, or, or you just had to put your hand up and admit it and get on with it. Um, yep. the, the worst part about uh, anything going wrong is not what goes wrong; it's a cover-up afterwards if you don't uh, bring it out. Like the hundred percent, the Mark War Shane Warne bookie scandal. Given that they were fined for giving information, isn't the worst crime in the world. But uh, Cricket Australia covered it up for four years, and uh, and it was a cover-up that. That created the bigger problem, and uh, so I was always I always made sure that uh, I was straight. Um, I tried to give the same advice to uh, people working in the industry, and also uh, just tried to help the, uh, the media as much as possible because uh, it's a pretty simple uh, uh, rule of thumb when you're working in that position. You can either tell your own story, or the media can tell it for you. So what would you rather do? So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
you're better off in that yeah. case. Um, even if it's a difficult story, you're better off uh, telling it yourself. Now, Malcolm, there are so many uh, cricket stories that we could talk to you about that you're an expert on uh, that, that just occurred this past summer, really. Um, but the, one of the biggest ones that's still on everyone's lips is Justin Langer and his future. Just before we let you go, can you give us an update on where you think Justin Langer's future lies and, and what, what do you think the future holds for the rest of the Australian cricket team if, if he does, if he does uh, part ways with them? Well, look, Justin's a, um, an icon of the game. He's been one of the Australia's greatest players, had the greatest opening, most successful opening partnership in Australian history with Matthew Hayden and second only to Greenwich and Haynes, the, the great West Indian pair. So Justin has an indelible place in Australian history. And uh, when he came in after Sandpaper Gate, which is sort of one of the low points in Australian cricket, uh, he did a great job as a statesman, helping to rebuild uh, trust in the game. But um, Justin is a is a very intense person, um, and I, during those 2009 stints at the World Cup and the Ashes, I actually travelled with him and worked with him. And um, he's very intense. Uh, he can be a micromanager, and it can make things very difficult. And it's not like okay. uh, if you've got an intense footy coach, where um, the players sort of go home after training. Uh, or go home after a game, you're with each other all the time and, and uh, the intensity just wore people down. So uh, eventually there was a player mutiny in August uh, uh, led by the captains and uh, he was basically sort of put into a, uh, a backroom role and the assistant coaches and senior players uh, basically ran the show and it was, a, it was a lot more comfortable and a lot less stressful. So um, I think if uh, we take the tradition of Australian cricket or world cricket, uh, that the captain's in charge, then the leaders certainly made their point in August. And I think that uh, there should be a change, but it'll be interesting to see where that lands. Yeah, exactly right, Malcolm. Malcolm Conn, the Chief Cricket Writer at the Sydney Morning Herald, our special guest here on Saturdays in Gippsland. Hey, Malcolm, thanks for your time this morning. Good luck for 2022. Hope it pans out well for you. Thanks, guys.